you've got to be rooted in in reality. And that reality is actually much more positive than people give Greater Cleveland credit for being. So when you look at, again, the last 10 years, uh, 10 years that we had data on, 2009 to 2019, Cleveland was fifth in business growth, right? Eighth in jobs growth, eighth in income growth. So we weren't 11th, which is, it was 11 regions that are peer regions in the, in the uh, Midwest, fifth, eighth, and eighth. So if you say that to greater Cleveland business and civic leaders, they, they're somewhat surprised that that's our rank because their perception is very negative. And I think that that perception is driven by the lack of sufficient storytelling about the successes that are going on in our midst. Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the pleasure of speaking with Beju Shah, who is the president and CEO of Greater Cleveland Partnership. GCP is the region's leading economic development organization, and with over 12,000 members, the largest metropolitan chamber of commerce in the whole nation. Guided by a board of corporate and entrepreneurial CEOs, the organization focuses on accelerating growth and prosperity for Cleveland through strategic initiatives, business services, real estate development, and advocacy, all of which we will unpack more in our conversation today. Prior to GCP, Beju served as the Senior Fellow for Innovation at the Cleveland Foundation and previously served as CEO and board member of Biomotive, co-led the Harrington Project for Discovery and Development, a $380 million U.S. and U.K. drug development initiative, which he helped to launch, and also formerly served as CEO, board member, and co-founder of BioEnterprise, a business formation, recruitment, and acceleration initiative that assisted companies in securing resources and funding to support their growth. During his tenure, BioE assisted more than 110 companies that together attracted $1.3 billion in new private funding. Beyond this, Beju has a plethora more of experience, has been named an Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year, and has been recognized as one of Cleveland's most influential leaders. Please enjoy my conversation with Beju Shah. When I take a look, I guess, at the arc of, of your own career as, a, as an outside observer, which, which I am, <laughs> uh, it, it appears to me that the thread that ties it together is, is Cleveland. And so I'd love to you know, pull on that thread and, and maybe start our conversation here, hearing a, a little bit about you know, yourself, your history, your, your path to GCP, sure. and about you know, why you have chosen to focus and double down so explicitly on impact in Cleveland. Yeah, so you know, it starts because I'm a Clevelander by birth. Clevelander through and through. This is my hometown. Spent some time away from uh, my hometown for college, early career work, law school, but always had in my mind a desire to come back uh, and to contribute in some way. Ill-defined, but always had a, a deep love of my community. And I think as a Clevelander, it's not only that it's something in the water, but once you leave Cleveland, you find yourself not only missing the community and its people, but constantly uh, defending it in the face of skepticism from others, which I think 
you know, emboldens the passion that one has for, uh, for the community. And I uh, certainly got me excited to, to boomerang back now, uh, nearly, well now 25 years ago. Mm. And as you reflect on now that 25 year period here in Cleveland, you know, how is it that you came to, to be in the position that you're in with greater Cleveland partnerships and paint the, the picture of, of the, of your, your professional career? You know, it's always serendipity in terms of how one ends up in different roles and, and positions. Uh, I had a mentor who early in my career gave me the guidance to follow opportunities that make sense in the moment, do them well, and new opportunities would emerge. So my background is when I returned to Cleveland, I joined a consulting firm here in Cleveland because I enjoyed the work on the business side, wanted the training but also because the consulting firm did a lot of work in the civic space and enabled me to have an opportunity to be involved early in my career in major civic uh, transformation initiatives around education, around uh, social services, around uh, community development banking, and then uh, eventually around economic development. While I was at that consulting firm, uh, on the private side of the work, what I gravitated to was anything that had to do with business growth, for business innovation. And, you know, looking back, I'm not sure what, why that sparked in me, but I will let you know that my father is an entrepreneur. So there's probably something that's in the DNA that, you know, makes me more risk favoring and interested mm-hmm. in individuals who are risk favoring and wanting to learn more about how to help those types of businesses and support them. From that consulting firm, you know, one of our projects was to be heavily involved in Cleveland's economic development, economic transformation. This was over 20 years ago now when we recognized in our community that in spite of significant efforts to move this community forward starting back in the early 1980s, but perhaps dating even earlier than that, from an economic perspective, we were still lagging. Other peer regions around the Midwest and the Great Lakes, you know, regions like ourselves that were trying to make the transition from the industrial economy to the knowledge economy. And that led to a series of not only uh, angst-ridden uh, sessions back 20 years ago, but a series of new strategies, one of which was to really focus in on nurturing startups, high-tech startups in particular, uh, uh, whether those were in the tech sector or the biotech and biomedical sector. I ended up leaving my consulting firm, or the consulting firm, it's not mine, to lead the effort in this community to really build the biomedical ecosystem uh, with an organization called BioEnterprise, a partnership of Cleveland Clinic, Case Western Reserve, University Hospitals. And our focus initially was really on identifying promising entrepreneurs and businesses in the Cleveland area, assisting them in their businesses, principally through getting them ready for and then introduced to capital sources that were and still are largely outside the region. So in the healthcare space that was principally in the Boston and Silicon Valley markets. Uh, And really being that bridge because we had the ability to build relationships, almost like a boutique investment bank would be, to these funding sources, building that bridge from those funding sources to Cleveland. Uh, What we found back then is that successful cities that had really accelerated their amount of venture capital had a very simple strategy, which was go and ask the people with the money what they want to invest in, and then make it easy for them to find it in your hometown, right? That's, that's simple. Don't try to push stuff. 
really just try to pull the money in by making it easy to sift through all of the startups that are out there to help them find the ones that fit their investment theses and serve it up to them. And that simple approach really allowed us to start to build a much stronger pipeline of capital, principally from the East Coast, a little bit from the West Coast, into Cleveland area businesses. Along with you know the biomedical work, because I'm a Clevelander through and through, I was passionate about many other things uh, that Cleveland seemed to be lacking at the time that we needed to nurture and encourage. So got involved in starting some other civic initiatives around talent attraction, in particular college uh, students, and try to bring college students into Cleveland for summer, uh, summer internships, summer exposure, and getting them convinced that this could be a great place to launch their professional careers. Immigrant talent got involved in starting organizations that were focused on really expanding on Cleveland's uh, wonderfully diverse ethnic heritage to welcome more immigrant families to this region to help them establish. Immigrants, as you know, are highly entrepreneurial individuals themselves, having taken the risk of leaving everything they know and everyone they know to start careers and lives in a whole new land and many other civic endeavors. That's how I started getting, you know, better wired into the community, into everything that was going on. And fast forward many, many years of being involved in many civic enterprises and, you know, entrepreneurial enterprises on the private side. And I find myself now as the, uh, at this uh, organization in a wonderful role that I every day I feel privileged to be in. So, so tell us a little bit about, uh, about GCP, about Greater Cleveland Partnerships. You know, what, what is the organization? What, what is a little bit of the history? And, um, you know, we'll, we'll get into, you know, kind of your, your focus today with the All In Plan and some of the other initiatives that, that you're thinking about working through, but you know, just kind of set the stage here for us. Sure. So the Greater Cleveland Partnership is the region's chamber of commerce. Uh, we have over 12,000 members. A thousand of the largest organizations and companies in the region, all of whom you would recognize a brand name, but also over 11,000 small businesses and entrepreneurs that are members of the Greater Cleveland Partnership. With over 12,000 members, we're not only the leading economic development organization in the region, but we're the largest metropolitan chamber of commerce in the entire country. Now, the history of this organization dates back all the way to, you can trace it all the way back to the 1840s. But really, I look at kind of 1893 as a watershed moment for what our organization has become. Because in the 1840s, the business leaders at that time, Cleveland was a growing city here in the, uh, the Western Reserve region, if you will, of uh, the country. They came together and they formed something called the Board of Trade in Cleveland. It was really principally to assist the businesses in their trade, as the name would confer. That Board of Trade, by the early 1890s, the business leadership of Cleveland recognized that the scope and focus of that Board of Trade was too narrow, that there were, mm-hmm. at the same time as the businesses had their interests that they were trying to promote, there were many civic issues that needed business attention, uh, whether those are issues around talent, infrastructure and growth at the time, taxes and finance policy, many of the same types of things that a Chamber of Commerce would focus on, our Chamber of Commerce would focus on today. So they formed, they disbanded the Board of Trade, they formed something called the Cleveland Chamber of Commerce, and the mission of that organization, and of course our organization today, remains explicitly focused on the civic system and the community as a whole. It's about accelerating the growth and prosperity of greater Cleveland. It's not about any one business or one industrial sector the way that a trade group or trade association would be uh, focused on. Hmm. When you think about 
and focus on this concept of you know increasing the greater prosperity for Cleveland. You know, one of the things that I, I think it's always really interesting is how do you measure that? Uh, what are the components of prosperity that that matter? Um, and and how do you hold yourself uh, accountable to, to to this concept and and how you define it? I guess. Yeah. So we define it. So first of all, so our scope is Greater Cleveland. I define Greater Cleveland, you know, in two different ways. You know, on a very specific quantitative basis, it follows the metropolitan area, but then on a you know, where's our scope and where are we willing to use our influence and connections? It's to anywhere that anyone's got a Cleveland T-shirt in their closet. So we're not very specific about the geography because we think that you know economies and regions operate across a much larger set of boundaries than just counties or cities, et cetera. We're the only organization that operates, you know, that has the purview to operate at that type of scale and scope. And because of the leadership of the business community that's involved, it's always the CEOs of these companies that are directly involved on our board of directors or on our various committees. Uh, we have the gravitas to convene others, uh, whether it's the public sector, the philanthropic sector, other civic partners around areas of focus that support that mission of growth and prosperity. You asked me a question on how do we measure it? Three overarching measures, business growth, jobs growth, income growth. So we want business growth, jobs growth, and income growth in our region here in greater Cleveland to be at the top of the Great Lakes regions on a competitive basis. We feel like we have the potential, given all of the assets of our region, not only our businesses and our institutions, but our people, to be among the top performing regions in the Midwest, one of the great regions in the Great Lakes. When you think about maybe that unrealized potential, right? If ultimately you're working to unlock uh, the potential in Cleveland, what what are the what do you see as the the barriers to the city realizing? What it, what it could from that competitive landscape perspective. Yeah, it's, so there's a couple things that uh, we've outlined is what we think the region needs. The first is we need an aligned vision of where are we trying to get to as a region, not just in terms of metrics, but in terms of what are the priorities that we want to focus on to move us up the leaderboard. Uh, we've defined you know, a series of priority focus areas, dynamic businesses that are thriving because of innovation technology, abundant talent, you know, with a real focus on experienced learning at all levels, inclusive opportunity, an appealing community, and then business confidence. Those are the five priorities that we've set forward to drive this vision of a great region on a great lake. The second thing, though, with that aligned vision, you need an aligned civic system, an all-in civic system, because to achieve transformative endeavors in any sector, it requires sustained commitment and alignment among many, many different stakeholders. In our case, it's the private sector, the public sector, the philanthropic sector, or the, or the nonprofit sector, working in lockstep against a common vision and working in a common way where everyone is adopting what we call the all-in approach. It's our mindset, our spirit, and our values and the values are outlined in sort of seven words that all begin with the word in, starting with always being inspired, setting bold aspirations with the execution plans that follow, and always ends with working in unity, working in unity for the community, not caring about who leads, who supports, what role you play, and especially not caring about who gets any credit. It's always remembering that all of us are doing this for the community's benefit. 
So that's the second most important thing about, you know, what's, what do we need to unlock? And line vision, an all-in civic system. And then the third, it's equally important, and, you know, you can pick this up as an entrepreneur's business owner, focus on all-in and all-out execution, right? So it's one thing to talk about things, you know, or, you know, get together and say that we're collaborating, but you've got to focus on execution, execution, execution day in and day out. So we've set you know, not only long-term goals for the region, but for each and every one of our strategies as a region, it's not our, us as an organization, we've set an annual goal. And we want to problem solve around an annual goal, just like you would in any business enterprise to say, if it's on trajectory, that's great. If it's off trajectory, what's missing, right? Is it the wrong strategy? Do we not have enough resource? Do we need to adjust certain you know, uh, factors in the system? Are there macro issues that we need to be uh, working around to adjust our strategy. I mean, all of those things are the types of questions one would contend with in a business operation. Same thing one needs to do when we're thinking about driving the region forward so that we've got our eyes on a set of outcomes we're trying to achieve, but we're constantly orienting our strategy and our overall system and resource to make sure we are remain on trajectory to achieve those long-term outcomes. When we're talking about you know greater prosperity, economic growth, jobs, income, uh, and those those components of the the all in in vision as you had lined them out, I don't know if I'll recall them all from memory as as well as you had there, but you know business, talent, yep. opportunity, right? These are all very macro topics, and one of the things that I'm I'm really interested in in your perspective on is you know if if the focus really and how you hold yourself accountable is in execution. I feel like in execution, it gets very micro. Yeah. And so, you know, how is it that you're like testing the efficacy of the actual work you're doing? Great question. So let's, you know, let's drill into one that's of common interest, uh, you know, research and innovation. So we measure on an annual basis, what's the innovation funding in the region. We measure that to include funding that's coming into our major research institutions, which include not only our universities and health systems, but also NASA Glenn. And innovation capital is measured by venture capital coming into the region to fund startup companies. Those are numbers that we can track on a year-in, year-out basis. And we know what our 2020 performance had been, which is roughly just about $2 billion of those. That Then we set a goal for 2021, saying that's you know $2.2 billion, and then we have a goal for 2022, 2.4 billion. We want to see this grow, you know, by roughly 10% a year to get us to a level that we think will be not only comparatively strong vis-a-vis other regions, but importantly, contributing to broader regional GDP growth because innovation is uh, such an important component for keeping companies competitive. And it's a leading indicator towards sort of the sales growth that one would see in kind of the GDP types of numbers. Now, to work those numbers, there's a lot of actors involved. This is not, you know, I, I want to emphasize, this is not the work of Greater Cleveland Partnership alone by any stretch. It is an entire civic system. A lot of private actors working with public actors. You've got to work on strategies on how are we going to build the research components. And I'll break it down in, in just a couple of examples. NASA Glenn. NASA Glenn is, you know, this incredible institution that, in the recent years, its macro budget was about $900 million a year, but direct spend in the region was just under $500 million because some of that is flow-through money that goes out of the region. 
our strategy is to ensure that we both increase the top line at NASA, but also increase the local spend with NASA. Now, how do we do that? That works. That's working with NASA Glenn. NASA Glenn is not allowed to advocate for itself, but we are able to, as a business community and as a public community, recognize where NASA Glenn has unique capabilities and strengths, and then marshal the resources of our federal delegation principally, but supported by our state, our governor, et cetera, to go and advocate in D.C. for not only increased expenditure, but increased program leadership of NASA Glenn, which would then allow for increased uh, local presence. So an example, and there's a detailed strategy where we've outlined sort of like the six things we want to go after in the current fiscal year federal budget. In March this past year, because of the leadership of our federal delegation, we were awarded at NASA Glenn. NASA Glenn was awarded up to $80 million in defense money, not NASA money, but defense money from the Space Force to expand their hypersonic testing facilities and a runway at NASA Glenn. That's the type of thing that we do to actually move the needle, where you go from macro to micro. On innovation capital, you know, obviously there's a plethora of startups. What we want to nurture are more startups. What does that take? It takes a couple of things that we collectively need to advocate for. What we need to continue to sustain the third frontier and the third frontier support for entrepreneurial organizations that are able to assist entrepreneurs and seed their businesses to get them started, companies, uh, groups like Jumpstart in our region, but also a number of seed and angel funds in our region. But we also need to make sure that we have more true venture capital domiciled and headquartered in the region. So we're working on strategies to attract or initiate true Series A and Series B funds here to assist startups as they continue to grow. Uh, we know that that will lead to greater innovation investment because having a headquartered fund here will attract more investment from peer venture firms that want to co-invest in syndication with these firms. So those are the types of examples of things that we do as a region, as a system, however you want to call it, to move the metrics. And same is true in the research institution space where we'll see opportunities that are multi-institution or institution and corporate partnerships. Uh, we have a major initiative or major application, I should say, pending right now at the Department of Commerce for up to $75 million to support smart manufacturing innovation in the greater Cleveland region. Uh, we look forward to hearing, hopefully, from the Department of Commerce this fall, so whether or not our region, which was kind of shortlisted, actually made it to the final cut for one of these major Department of Commerce awards to support, you know, growing our research base and growing our innovation base in the region. I want to ask about, and it, you know, recognizing this may not fall squarely under the, the purview of, of GCP, yeah. but, you know, when you think about, you know, We'll, we'll take that $2 billion example of, you know, the amount of capital invested over the last year in, in, uh, right, in, in growing companies and startups. And, insti and research institutions. And research institutions. Yep. Um, and, right, and the, and the goal for growth of, you know, 10% year over yeah. year. I'm curious, you know, you know in a, in a wad magic wand scenario, right, should we be asking, you know, how can we 10x that instead of 10% that? Right, like yeah. where? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's a thought. great question, and it's a question of like how fast can the trajectory change of any metric that we're measuring? Right. So we're putting in place right now. I've been uh, at the Greater Clean Partnership for just a little over a year now. 
put it, you know, first year was really about sort of defining these strategies, putting in place the metrics, kind of reconnecting uh, nodes in the system to really get ready to operationalize the, the, the strategies that had been outlined and starting to deliver some early results. It's a great question you've got on sort of like, how do you change that trajectory so that it's not just 10% year over year, but you start to get to much faster rates of growth on broadly innovation capital research. And I think we'll get there, but we want to make sure that we've got kind of a annual goal that we can measure against, uh, continue to manage against and continue to improve so that we work our way towards larger and larger leaps as we go forward as a region. I think a big piece of it for us, one of the things that I'm learning even more, it's something I've always believed, it's where we started our conversation is so much of what's going on in this region is hidden under our noses. We talked about you know businesses and startups and the plethora of companies that are out there and how you can go on and on with this podcast, always discovering interesting stories. The same is true in large corporate innovation. We're largely unaware of the corporate innovation centers that are in our midst. And maybe even more importantly, they're unaware of each other and they're unaware of what's going on in the research institution. So we wanna bring more visibility to what's happening so that people can start to connect across the landscape. In the last couple of weeks, I've been out uh, to the Nestle Innovation Center, the Aviant Innovation Center, Avery Dennison, all of which have innovation centers here. And they're just a handful of probably about 25 companies that have R&D functions in the region. And when you meet with these companies, you start to ask them what they're working on, the problems they're trying to solve. All of these are global companies. They're working you know, on their needs that they see from their customer perspective on a global basis. What they don't recognize and you know, is they've got resources around the world, but they don't, they don't recognize that they might have some peers or even research institutions in our community that they can draw upon to help meet their needs, uh, that they're working on similar types of material science problems, process uh, improvement problems, you know, other types of novel technologies. And there's peer-to-peer learning as well as the opportunity for collaboration in a pre-competitive sense for among many of these companies. We're hoping that by bringing visibility to that, that these companies can then start to self-connect a little bit more and accelerate the pace by which we're increasing the innovation capacity in the region. No, I, I like you mentioned that in many ways was the the founding insight for for a lot of the work I am doing with with this podcast. And you know, with that, I, I think one of the things that that is interesting and challenging is. I think creating the visibility of of all these different stories is a tool to help facilitate the collaboration. But I think at the scale that you're working at, I'd love to understand, you know, because I think it's almost like a societal narrative in Cleveland. You know, people are working in silos. They're not fully aware necessarily of all the other things people are working on. How do you actually get people to collaborate and, and work together uh, in a you know, in a meaningful, material way? It's hard. The answer will be basic, but the execution is hard. It comes down to human connections and the more human connections that we create throughout our region, I don't think there's a barrier to it. I think there's a lack of awareness of it and a lack of facilitation of it. When I was you know, deep in the biomedical sector, I was always stunned at how people within just the biomedical sector were unaware of each other because they had worked within 
not just their silo of an organization or institution, but the silo of their space. They knew everybody in the neuro- neurology space globally, but they didn't know their neighbor that was working on orthopedics because there was just no intersection point, you know, professionally or scientifically around sort of the work that they were doing. And yet they were right adjacent to each other and they didn't know. And there may or may not be merit in them knowing each other, but I think that there's probably power in it because I, I strongly believe in the power of the human 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 interactions, human networks. You know, everyone's got relationships. Not everyone has knowledge that might help their peer organizations or networks, but everyone's got a relationship, a relationship from their business career, their professional you know, background, their educational background, sometimes family members that could be useful, right? The more you understand what someone's looking for, I think, and people I think in Cleveland are willing to share, to say, I know oh, you're working on that issue. Let me connect you to someone who I think might be useful to you, but they need to actually come together to find each other. So it gets back to, I think it's fairly basic, but how you do it is you got to get people's attention to come out of their day to day and show up at a networking happy hour. And you got to make it interesting enough that they're going to do that. We have started to do this around interest groups, just like any other organization would be. We learned, for example, recently that a lot of our largest organizations in our community are grappling with sustainability requirements that are being, uh, or standards that are being put forward by stakeholder groups, uh, whether it's you know customer stakeholders, uh, financial regulatory stakeholders, investors, etc. There's a whole new set of uh, interest in greenhouse gas emissions and in other environmental considerations. Well, the people that have been tasked with these responsibilities inside the largest organizations in our community, it's all new to them. This this is new territory. So we convened uh, recently a private dinner among a number of the leaders that we knew who, who had been tasked with it by their largest companies to be in this role. And we said, look, come together, you know, if nothing else, dinner's on us. If you find value in the convening, let us know what you find value in, and we're happy to continue to facilitate. And what we were surprised at is they found incredible value, one, in having a peer group on which they can lean on, right? Especially when one's tackling a, a challenge like that, and you don't have a lot of resources to turn to. It's great to have some peers that are in your neighborhood, but maybe not in your industry to get new ideas. Uh, second, they found you know, uh, great value in thinking about what it may mean for not only their own organizations, but what it means for all their suppliers and customers, because a lot of the information they need to collect is from these smaller organizations who are going to be blindsided by what will be coming forward as new requirements to be a supplier or to receive goods from these companies that have to now track this for their other purposes. And then third is they're like, well, if we're doing this to improve our environmental stewardship. You know, we're doing things on a global level. Why shouldn't we be doing things in our home communities? Like, can we think about collective actions that we do locally that might address things? A great example was, you know, a lot of us are buying uh, reforestation credits. Well, why don't we do tree canopy recovery locally? Because we know of the issue of the lack of tree canopy uh, creates, you know, heat heat sinks in urban environments. Well, why wouldn't we band together and put some of our resources into communities where we live and work and our employees live and work? And so that's the type of thing where you're able to then start to get this group to connect with each other more and start to trade on relationships that they have that can help each other. 
I don't know how to do that at scale because you can't you can't do that by inviting everyone to the Brown Stadium. You have to do this in groups that are going to show up because they're naturally interested in the same topic, whether it's a health tech corridor, happy hour. Uh, you know, there's a DAL happy hour coming up tomorrow night. It's a cozy event for our small businesses. It's a sustainability gathering. It's diversity professional groups. I mean, we've got all these things that are occurring that we need to keep nurturing people to, to work across their org, uh, outside their organizations and across, you know, boundaries that are really not boundaries. It's just sort of inertia. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about the importance of storytelling, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that, you know, I, you and I talked about this at the beginning of your podcast and how much I admire what you're doing and how I have always wanted to have somebody tell the stories of not only the tech startups that we come across, but the just business success stories, small businesses that have gone big, you know, the Great Lakes beers, the Cleveland whiskeys. I mean, it, there's so many of these great businesses in our midst here. And the stories are fascinating stories because every yeah. entrepreneurial journey has its roller coaster uh, to go through. Yeah. I mean, Tom Lex has an incredible story yeah. at Cleveland Whiskey. And, and I think that what's so critical, and this ties into our fifth priority of business confidence, is our first four priorities, dynamic businesses, abundant town, inclusive opportunity, appealing community, all get accelerated by confidence. Right. Confidence is that feature that if the region's business leadership, civic leadership starts to express more confidence as Cleveland is a great place not only to live or visit, but Cleveland is a great place to work and build a business, they're going to start sharing that with others in their network, others that could be suppliers or customers, others that could be professional contacts or personal contacts, and that they're going to encourage those individuals to invest in Cleveland or to move to Cleveland. The way we get there is the storytelling. It is about the 21st century business success stories. And these could be companies that are historic, that are still globally leading their fields, like the Sherwin-Williams and the Parker Hannifins and the Cleveland Cliffs that are doing incredible things here in the 21st century, innovating, changing, and therefore still competing and leading. Or it could be the startup companies. We have so many of these stories that I think it's critical that we find formats such as your podcast to get channels, to get this information out there. And these are the types of things people want to know about. They want to know about what's going on. They want to, they want to know what, what is Cleveland whiskey? What's the story behind it? You know, what was the story behind Great Lakes beer? What was the story behind Cleveland kitchen and so many other things that are consumer facing. And so there's some familiarity, but also the things that, aren't consumer facing and are growing like gangbusters, an MRI software, a park place technologies, right? an overdrive that too few people recognize overdrive was a Cleveland tech yeah. startup, is a Cleveland tech startup, is still growing here in Cleveland. So I think this is critical to Cleveland's success because when we express that confidence, we're going to attract investment, attract talent, which is going to accelerate our ability to really climb that leaderboard you know, in comparison to other Great Lakes regions. Well, I, I certainly share the share the sentiment, and uh, you know, appreciate the the work that that you're doing. I think just at a, a much grander scale to to coalesce and bring bring the folks together on on what I think is really important for for Cleveland. Yeah, it is. I mean, we this is how we get our you know this is how we get our group back. This is I mean, it's we know we live in a great city. 
we have convinced ourselves it's a great place to live, it's a great place to visit, but it's also a great place to work and it's a great place to build businesses. And as people see more and more examples of it or hear about more examples of it, because it's all around us, uh, I think that we will get that part of it and then then we really start thriving as a region. So we, we're excited about what you're doing and we wanna contribute to that by sharing stories uh, that we come across, you know, through your channel and other channels out there. What I, I wanted to maybe double click on there is, uh, is confidence yeah. and like how, how it, it's almost, it's not necessarily a chicken and egg problem. Like what us to come first, you know, us, uh, making the progress against those things that you are measuring economic growth, jobs, income to stand on that progress and be confident in how we are doing versus to just, you know, embody that confidence that we need maybe to make that progress in the first place. How do you bridge those? First, it's sort of, you know, you've got to be rooted in in reality. And that reality is actually much more positive than people give Greater Cleveland credit for being. So when you look at, again, the last 10 years, 10 years that we had data on, 2009 to 2019, Cleveland was fifth in business growth, right? Eighth in jobs growth, eighth in income growth. So we weren't 11th which is it was 11 regions that are peer regions in the, in the uh, Midwest, fifth, eighth, and eighth. So if you say that to greater Cleveland business and civic leaders, they, they're somewhat surprised that that's our rank because their perception is very negative. And I think that that perception is driven by the lack of sufficient storytelling about the successes that are going on in our midst. Right? There's a reason that these companies, large ones like Sherwin, Cleveland Cliffs, Parker, et cetera, Eaton, are growing and thriving here, as well as the many, many, many small companies. This is a little bit of the Cleveland sociological or psychological makeup issue. I, you know, through yeah. the tra- trauma that Cleveland has been through as a community, there is a woe is us, glass is always half empty, you know, mindset here, a loss mindset, scarcity mindset instead of a growth mindset. And what we want to demonstrate is when you look at the actual data and you hear the stories that really are things that people hang on to, if you hear enough of them, you start to shift that mindset to a growth mindset. Uh, and you start to recognize that it is happening all around you. It's much better than you're giving it credit for. It's not perfect by any stretch. You got a lot of work to do, but it starts to shift our internal mindset so that we're more open to and then start to pay more attention to the success stories that are going on all around us. Yeah. And it's really interesting that framing of it. Cause I, I think anecdotally just at a more personal level rather than at a macro level, my observation has been one that as someone who's, you know, not from Cleveland, but that Clevelanders really have the simultaneous pride and self-deprecation at the same time dealing with this, this bar that for the reasons you mentioned is, is set quite low from an expectations, but that uh, Cleveland is very, it's, it's pleasantly surprising at a personal level. Like everyone yeah. is just kind of blown away by when they come and see and experience it. It's not as, as bad as they think it is. Well, and it, it, It's that. And it's also, you know, again, I, part of it is sort of my mindset, my attitude as an entrepreneur. Part of it is, you know, I worked most of my career in the healthcare sector. Cleveland in the healthcare sector leads the world, right? This is, this is not a place that we don't think of ourselves as globally competitive because we have organizations, we've got individuals that are globally recognized, brands that people know, like the Cleveland Clinic, of course, that 
you know you're you're not compromising by being in Cleveland. You're actually at the top of the field by being in Cleveland. And so it's a different mindset that we bring to, you know, the work that's here and the clinicians and people. Of course, people would want to work in healthcare in Cleveland. And I think we've got that in other sectors, writ large, our business sector. We also have it in our arts sector, Cleveland Orchestra, right? One of the top orchestras in the world. Cleveland Art Museum, right? One of the top art museums in the world. And we need to bring that perspective to everything else that we're doing, that we're not just, you know, a town that went on some hard times, like many other towns went on hard times, but we are actually, you know, we've gone through that and we are growing and we're thriving. We can do better. We will do better, but we have to recognize where we are is much better than where we think we are. I think that's a, a perfect segue to, to kind of bookend the conversation here, which is to talk about not necessarily your favorite things in Cleveland, but for some of the things in Cleveland that other folks may not know about uh, that, that perhaps they should. So your, your hidden gems. Well, my hidden gems are always companies and entrepreneurs. And so your podcast, you know, is laying out many of those hidden gems into view for audiences. But if I go away from businesses and entrepreneurs, which is what I truly love, I'd say one of my favorite places, well, I love food in Cleveland. Food in Cleveland is fantastic. There are lots and lots of hidden gems or gems that were hidden to me uh, throughout Cleveland, but maybe I'll go with a place. So one of my favorite places to go for a hike that I discovered in the midst of the pandemic is all of us were out hiking every day because it was one of the few things that we felt safe doing early days of the pandemic. (laughs) Bedford Reservation. There was a hike in the Bedford Reservation a trail called Hemlock Creek. That to me is a hidden gem. It's not a trail that many people know exists. Many people know that there's a picnic area there, but there's a trail that goes just east of the picnic area where you walk along the bottom of the gorge. It's a beautiful spot, hidden gem uh, to enjoy in Cleveland. Yeah, it is quite beautiful over there. Um, well, you know, Beju, I really appreciate your time uh, for, for coming on and, and sharing your own story uh, and the more about the work you're doing at, at GCP. If folks had anything that they wanted to follow up with you about, you know, Cleveland, GCP, otherwise, what is the, the best way for them to do so? Probably the best way. You could certainly uh, find me on Twitter uh, and sort of, uh, you know, send me a note, message me on Twitter via LinkedIn. You can drop me an email at bshotgreaterclee.com if uh, uh, folks have ideas. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Beju. Really appreciate it. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on the show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. 
This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week.